The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinnie Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. Julie Jensen suspected her husband and father of her children, Mark Jensen, wanted her dead. So she put pen to paper telling the world just that. That letter written just days before her death would lead to his 2008 conviction for her murder, but would also be the reason for overturning that same conviction in 2017. Now, Jensen faces a jury once again, live on Court TV. This week's Court TV podcast examines his first trial with an audio edition of the original series, Judgment with Ashley Banfield, as his retrial gets underway. This is the Court TV Podcast. I took this picture and I'm writing this on Saturday, November 21st at 7 a.m. This list was in my husband's daily business planner. Not meant for me to see. I don't know what it means, but if anything happens to me, he would be my first suspect. I pray I'm wrong and nothing happens. But I am suspicious of Mark's behaviors and fear for my early demise. Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin is just that. A pleasant suburb southwest of Kenosha, a quick car ride to Lake Michigan, Mark and Julie Jensen lived there. They met in college in 1981, got married, and settled there with their two sons, David and Douglas, who in 1998 were just eight and three years old. From the outside, their marriage looked fairly normal. But just below the surface was a smoldering cauldron of harassment, infidelity, and ultimately death. Mark wants me to drink more with him in the evenings. I don't. I would never take my life because of my kids. They are everything to me. I will not leave David and Douglas. My life's greatest love, accomplishment, and wish. My three Ds. Julie Jensen. It appeared Julie Jensen was murdered by her husband, Mark Jensen. She was poisoned by him using ethylene glycol. He was using small doses to kill her when that didn't work fast enough. He smothered her with either a robe or a pillow and caused her death on December 3rd, 1998. This was a very complex case. When I responded to the scene, the medical examiner had already been called off by the deputy medical examiner who said that it was a natural cause of death. And I overruled him. I said, we're treating this as a homicide until we can rule out homicide. Pleasant Prairie being what it is, as you might expect from the name, in a quiet community between Milwaukee and Chicago, to have any crime reported there is unusual. The fact that someone died and may have been murdered, very unusual. All right, and the defendant is present now. So with that, uh, Mr. Jambways, if you're prepared, you may make your opening statement. 
on December 2nd, 1998, as Julie Jensen lay in her bed, suffering, desperately ill. Her husband, Mark Jensen, knew exactly why she was sick, why she was ill, why she was suffering. As he lay next to her that night in the marital bed on the evening of December 3rd, 1998, as she was barely able to breathe, Mark Jensen lay there next to her knowing what she was going through because he'd read all about it on the internet in the months preceding her death. Julie viewed herself as a loving mother and as a loving wife, and all she wanted was some attention from her husband. She wanted her husband to love her, and in fact, she even thought that he was trying to poison her. Julie Jensen was about my age when she died. She had two young sons, I had two young sons. I appreciated what people told me about her, about how she was a caring and loving mother, how she tried to be a good wife to her husband. It really resonated with me when I heard these stories about her and about what a wonderful person she was. This was a difficult marriage. This marriage had involved extramarital affairs and discussion of divorce and stress around kids, mental illness. Before her death, Julie wrote a letter. That letter essentially said, if I die, Mark, my husband, is the likely suspect. This is the letter that became known as the letter from the grave. Here is the letter. She provided it to her neighbors and said, keep it in case something happens to me. Is that something someone who's fearful of being murdered would do or something that someone who doesn't want help would do? Mark Jensen's defense was that Julie Jensen committed suicide by poisoning herself and that she decided in her anger towards him to frame him for her death. People who are depressed feel hopeless. It's a dark place, it's terrifying, it's frightening because there's no way out. And we'll come back to the letter many times and you'll have to decide whether it's a blueprint for framing her husband or legitimate. I think it's such a bad case to defend. She not only committed suicide, she framed him for murder and he just couldn't make it sound very compelling or believable. Finally, after nine long years, Mark Jensen can clear his name. Finally, after nine years, the story will be told about how Mark came to be falsely accused of this crime. They don't have to prove a case on the defense side. All they have to do is raise enough doubt. I need you to hear all the evidence. And then at the end of this case, we'll see. Mark here did not kill his wife, Julie. Bob and I were at a wine tasting, and this woman came up to us, and she says, are you Bob Jamboyce, the district attorney? And he said, yes. And she said, well, I'm a neighbor of Julie Jensen's, and we all know he killed her. She had the envelope in her hands, and she said, if anything happened, I should give this to the police. Did Mark Jensen kill his wife, or did she kill herself and attempt to frame him for her death? Julie left a voice-from-the-grave letter with a neighbor a few days before she died. She was suspicious of Mark, and she wrote that if she were found dead, he should be the prime suspect. At the same time, Mark appeared to be setting the stage for casting doubt on Julie's mental and physical health, telling co-workers and friends that she'd been losing weight and that she was depressed and that she was not well. Her friends, however, did not agree. 
Did you notice any change in Julie's condition or her demeanor or her physical condition in the last uh, few months of her life? No. Did you see her in the last few months of her life? Yes. I think Mark Jensen was lying to just about everyone about Julie's condition, telling them that she was depressed and lost all this weight and couldn't sleep and couldn't eat. And so these friends out of concern would reach out to Julie and when they saw her and spoke to her, she was perfectly fine. We went to lunch. I wanted to see if she looked sick to me, I guess. And I didn't notice any changes in her. She was faced with such a impossible dilemma, believing that maybe her husband is trying to kill her, but not really wanting to believe that and wanting to preserve her family for the benefit of her children. How did she express her concern? She started to wring her hands again, and she said, I think my husband is going to kill me. And I said, you said, you think your husband's going to kill you? And she said, yes. I was notified that the next door neighbor had delivered a letter to law enforcement. She had told this neighbor to only give it to the police if something happened to her. Before Julie died, she gave you something to hold? She was scared that she's gonna die. He's gonna poison her. What did she do then? She had the envelope in her hands. And she said, if anything happened, I should give this to the police. I think when you look at that letter carefully, it shows a woman who is tormented. She thought if she left Mark, he would make her look like she was crazy, and he'd take her children. And if she didn't leave Mark, he'd poison her, and she'd lose her children. So she was really desperate when she wrote that letter. The reason why the letter is the source of numerous appeals is because Mark Jensen's attorneys are not able to cross-examine Julie Jensen, who wrote the letter, because she's dead. There's a question about fairness. If you are being accused of murder, you want the opportunity to be able to question that accuser. If that person is not available to be questioned because of actions you took, well, maybe that it is fair to let the letter into the trial. Mark didn't know that you had had conversations with Mrs. Jensen. He, he saw me talking to her. You were afraid he'd find out. About what? About the conversations. Well, I had a conversation every day with her. He knew we were talking to each other because he gives me such a cold, dirty look that we were talking to each other. That was your perception was that he was giving you? No, it was in the perception. You can see in somebody's eyes. Tad Voigt and Margaret Voigt were incredibly powerful witnesses. The jury could clearly see that Tad Voigt was an honorable and decent and kind person. Margaret came across the same way. I said, why don't you divorce? And she said that Mark would kill me first before he divorced me. Do you remember anything about December 3rd, 1998? Yes. Uh, That was the day that Julie died. I saw all the police cars, the ambulance. I already knew something very bad had happened. My husband was very, very upset. He was upset at me too. He said, you told me to stay away. And look what happened. 
my son Mark on December 4th on his driveway, and I saw his dad, and they were happy, they were smiling, and that was very strange, because I thought, you know, your wife just died yesterday, why are you so happy? We understand that people grieve differently, but Mark's reaction was so cold-hearted, it was hard to believe that he ever cared for Julie Jensen. Did you observe Mr. Jensen at the, at the wake? Yes. While we were in line, Mark was standing, sorry, five feet from her casket, laughing and joking and acting like someone's at a cocktail party as Julie lays there. I'm sorry. Did you notice anything unusual outside of the Jensen home the Monday following Mrs. Jensen's wake? There was just a lot more garbage than normally was there, and it just appeared that there were a lot of Julie's belongings, if not all of them. Julie Jensen was struggling with depression and worried that her safety was in danger, so there were a lot of reasons to feel some empathy for her. Did you have any other conversations with her in the fall of 19, 1998 about Mark? The next conversation was related to um, Julie telling me that she thought that Mark might be trying to kill her. I told her that I, I didn't see it, but if <coughs> she felt she was at risk, that she should not listen to me. I think Laura Costa was terrified of her brother. I think that she was falling into the family line in support of Mark. You knew at the time that Julie was found dead, that aside from your two nephews, the only person that was alone with her during those three days was your brother, correct? Yes. You knew that she suspected that he was trying to kill her, correct? Yes. And you knew that here she was dead. And you didn't see any need to contact the police to talk about what your best friend had told you. No. If Mr. Jensen was planning to murder his wife, he had a good motive to not tell you about that, right? I suppose so. Because you wouldn't want to marry a wife murderer, would you? Jensen was a successful stockbroker. He and Julie had a nice house, they had a boat, they took vacations, but that wasn't enough for Mark. He began having an affair with a co-worker, Kelly Labonte, in September of 1998. Perhaps as revenge for the two-day affair that Julie had had back in the early 90s. Or perhaps it was simply because Mark was done with his marriage. I thought Mark Jensen was an arrogant psychopath. He put so much thought into torturing his wife. And the only time that he let up was when he became involved with Kelly. Why don't you ask Mrs. Jensen to come up, please? Mark Jensen was having an affair with Kelly Labonte. Early March of 2002, Mark and Kelly were getting married. Kelly Labonte was a relatively young person at the time all of this transpired and she most certainly didn't participate in anything that was criminal. When did that romantic relationship begin? September. And did you also begin a sexual relationship with Mr. Jensen? Yes. She went to lunch and came back nasty, not trying to be evasive. What exactly are you looking for? We could talk about the details. Smile. You're cute when you smile and other things. 
didn't come back nasty. I'm usually like this. You had actually married Mr. Greeman approximately two weeks prior? Yes. And had you gone on a honeymoon with Mr. Greeman? Yes. That's approximately a week before you went to Appleton and had sexual <clears throat> intercourse with Mr. Jensen? Yes. Not only are they talking about the evidence that suggested that her husband had committed a serious crime, but they're also talking about her sex life. If you continue to be a good boy, maybe you'll get what you wish for. I would enjoy participating, exclamation point, exclamation point. That was your response? Yes, I guess it was. During email communications, they discussed making a decision about whether they should continue their relationship or end it. And then you respond, did we miss the window of opportunity? I meant with our significant others, not each other. Yes. Kelly suggested the end of the year. So that would have been December of 1998. And so Mark needed to get rid of Julie one way or another. And I got my ticket punched, had that conversation. What did you understand, Mr. Jensen, to be referring to when he said, I got my ticket punched. I believe the reference to getting his ticket punched was that his wife told him she didn't love him anymore. At any time, did Mark Jensen ask you to lie in this case? No. Did Mark Jensen ever discuss with you harming his wife? No, he never did. If he had, I would have run as far away from him as possible. Kelly was the motive, and she helped us establish the motive. If Mr. Jensen was planning to murder his wife, he had a good motive to not tell you about that, right? I suppose so. Because you wouldn't want to marry a wife murderer, would you? No. The biggest turning point probably in the whole case, Ed Klug. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give in this case would be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing's up the truth, so help you that? I do. Ed Klug told us that he had been at a conference with Mark Jensen in St. Louis in 1998 and that they both got drunk. They both started complaining about their wives and how they would be better off without their wives. Ed Klug thinking in terms of divorce and that Mark Jensen revealed that there were other ways to get rid of your wife. Do you remember who started complaining about whose wife first? You know, I think it really was Mark. Mark told me if you wanted to get rid of your wife, that you could go to websites that would tell you how to poison your wife, how it would not be detectable. Did you see Mr. Klug then the next morning? There was a knock on the door, and uh, he was at the door. And I noticed he was uh, kind of raggy. His tie was off center. and. It didn't look like he was ready for the meeting in the morning. I said, what have you been doing? He says, well, I've been up all night. I says, really? He says, yeah, we're, uh, me and Mark were up planning how to kill our wives. And then he laughed, and I laughed, and I thought it was a joke. Ed Klug was apprehensive about coming forward with this information, especially since he hadn't really come forward with it back in 1998 when he first heard Julie Jensen died. You never told any law enforcement officer this story about Mark Jensen killing his wife until they confronted you, right? That's correct. You didn't tell them in 98, right? No, I did not. You didn't tell anybody in 2000, right? No. You didn't tell anybody in 2001, right? No, I did not. The first time you ever said anything to anybody that Mark Jensen said something about antifreeze was yesterday. 
Yes. Ed Klug was probably afraid for his life, and that's probably why all those years he didn't come forward. There's a line that a longtime homicide prosecutor here in Milwaukee said, when you go in the sewer, you don't find swans. That's what he always said about jailhouse snitches. When you and Mark Jensen first started talking to each other, what sort of things did you and he talk about? Uh, basically just family at first, you know, then it slowly progressed into the aspects of his case. Cellmates who testify, there's always a cloud of suspicion about their testimony. Are they making up? what they're testifying to or coloring it strictly to reduce their own time behind bars. Tell me about everything that Mark Jensen said to you about his case. I said, um, what you charged with? And um, he explained to me that he had been charged with murder for murdering his wife. He had mentioned a guy named Klug was one of his co-workers. And what did he say to you about Mr. Klug? He said Mr. Klug would ultimately be the one that would bring him down to get him locked up in prison. And um, he wished that he would just go away. And what did you do in order to accomplish that objective? I told him that I could possibly make it happen for him. You had an offer of help today in a different way, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. It might have you give them some money. Just a little bit. Well, How much? It'd be like 500 Maybe twice. And that would be it. He said, what if he decides to talk after the trial? Then I told him, I said, well, you know, that's, you know, you have a plan B then. Yeah, plan B would be for him to go away permanently. I said, well, you know, that'll cost you more. All this testimony and your plot and everything was part of a plan to help yourself, right? Yes. And you can only help yourself if Mr. Jamboys is satisfied with what you have to say on that stand, right? I can help myself by telling the truth. Mr. Jamboy has nothing to do with it. He just made it possible for me to be here. No one likes jailhouse snitches. Prosecutors don't like jailhouse snitches. Judges don't like jailhouse snitches. Defense lawyers certainly don't. Tell the jury what Mr. Jensen told you about what he did. He said that they went to the doctor because she was really depressed and things like that. And that when he went to the doctor, they gave her Paxil. And then they came home, she took the medication, and that she got real loopy and this and that, and she wanted to lay down. So he gave her juice to drink, and that was when he told me at that point it was mixed with the antifreeze. By the way, when he said that to you, how did you respond? Well, at that point, I'm, I decided it was a way out. You're thinking, you're hearing about a confession to a murder? Yeah. And you thought you might use that? Yes. What did he do when he came home and found that she was breathing better? That's the point when he rolled her over and sat on her back. Mark Jensen had told Aaron Dillard that Julie wasn't dying fast enough, so he shoved her face into the pillow and asphyxiated her. The only person who could know this was the person who murdered Julie Jensen. It's Mr. Jamboys who has to be satisfied with your testimony, true? No. The offer they made was to tell the truth and they would make a recommendation. I am telling the truth. I believe it's for them to tell me if I'm telling the truth. Who answered the phone? Mr. Jensen. He said, she's asleep. She's going to be asleep for a long time. And he laughed. On the morning of December 3rd, 1998, Julie's two sons asked their dad to take their mom to the hospital. She was having trouble breathing and she couldn't even sit up on her own to say goodbye before they left for school. He promised them that if she wasn't better by the time they got back, he would take her to the emergency room. But when the boys returned home from school, Julie Jensen was dead. 
Could you tell us what David told you about his mother? Yes. He said that his mom is sick and that his dad will not take her to the hospital. Did he describe um, her physical condition? Yes, he did, with breathing. Can you demonstrate for the jury how David demonstrated to you his mother's breathing? Yes, it was. <sighs> you called Mrs. Jensen's home? Yes. Who answered the phone? Mr. Jensen. Could you outline the remainder of the call? He said she's asleep. She's going to be asleep for a long time. And he laughed. What a bizarre thing to say and laugh. Did you discover that you had any voicemail messages for you at the police department? Yes, I did. It was a message from Julie Jensen. She asked that I call her as soon as I returned from my trip. There was a second message, again, from Julie Jensen. I stated to call me as soon as possible. And if she were to end up dead, Mark would be her first suspect. I advised her that if she was fearful for her safety or for the children's safety, then she should leave. Upon your arrival, then what did you do, sir? Quickly checked for a pulse on her neck, found no pulse, attempted to roll over. We found her stiff, not breathing. The detective who was assigned to this case had only done one homicide in his entire career. You did not look for chemicals in the garage? I guess when you say chemicals, it depends on what type of chemical you're speaking of. It's something that wouldn't have belonged in the garage. That would have certainly called my attention. Did you note whether there was antifreeze in the garage? I did not notice. You were touching things with your bare hands? Yes. Would you have been trained to use gloves when gathering evidence at a potential crime scene? Yes. You did not use gloves? On some of my war gloves and on some things I didn't. Mr. Jensen reported his wife's uh, condition through a, a 911 call, right? Yes. Did you save that 911 call? I cannot recall why the 911 tape wasn't recovered. Some attorneys get caught up in the moment of trying to conquer this witness in front of them. The most important thing is not that you should win every argument. You've got to win over the jury. April 21st, 1999 is the recorded statement that you, that you took? Yes. How do we explain her death? You were the only one there, and you leave, she's alive. You come back, she's passed away. And oftentimes throughout this interview, Detective Ratzberg, you were making many accusations, but not giving Mark Jensen an opportunity to respond, correct? True. And among the accusations you were making were false statements, correct? Yes. I was thinking maybe you guys were playing around, or maybe you guys had a violent argument. I generally will lie to get the truth and where the suspect or the person you're speaking of will generally lie to cover up the truth. You had to do something to cause her death, Mark. You're the only person that was there, and you're the only person that could have done anything. Mr. Jensen never said he had anything to do with the death of his wife, right? Do you agree? Yes. The autopsy did not reveal her manner of death. The information from the state crime lab about the computer was a huge step in our investigation. Ms. Mitchell, by whom are you employed? The Wisconsin Department of Justice. 
What capacity? I'm a computer forensic analyst. You and the investigative team put together this list of particular words? Correct. What areas were you and the investigative team particularly interested in when you formulated your list of key words that you wanted to look up? Initially, the list consisted of words pertaining to um, homicide by poisoning. What was the word that came up more often than any other word when you did a keyword search on the computer? Of the keywords that I chose, the word poison had the most search hits. On what date was it that was the first time that you discovered any website that made reference to ethylene glycol in the Jensen computer? I believe November 10th, 1998 was the first indication I could find of ethylene glycol on the Jensen home computer. What really convinced me that Mark Jensen was guilty and that this was not a suicide was the computer forensic evidence. To me, that was indisputable. The searches led me to have absolutely no doubt that Mark Jensen murdered his wife. Don't you think that would form a legitimate basis for Julie Jensen to have actual fear that her husband is actually going to kill her or try to kill her? That's you, you giving testimony. That is not the record that I received. Bob Jamboys, the prosecutor, was at the Jensen home with law enforcement on the night that Julie died and thought that something seemed suspicious. The position of Julie's arm under her body, the condition of Julie's face. Something didn't feel right. But it would take over nine years for the state's case to come together using Julie's letter, searches from the Jensen's home computer, Aaron Dillard's testimony, and finally, another look by the experts at the science. We had a 41-year-old woman who was dead, no marks on her at all. So I told the detective, I think that she's probably poisoned and possibly asphyxiated, smothered in the pillow. Assuming that a person about the size of Mark Jensen sat on the right chest wall of Julie Jensen and shoved her face into the pillow, would you expect to find bruising or this hemorrhage, soft tissue hemorrhage, in about the location that you, in point of fact, found it at the time that you conducted this autopsy? It would be consistent with what I see in this particular photograph with the positioning of the arm and the location of the hemorrhage and the soft tissue on the left anterior chest. The autopsy photo showed the bruising right along her ribs in a perfect line that would have lined up perfectly with her arm being spread like this, just as Aaron Dillard had said that this is what Mark Jensen had done. What is the cause of death of Julie Jensen? Asphyxia by smothering or suffocation. A contributing factor could be ethylene glycol, but the approximate cause is asphyxia by suffocation because if that uh, had not occurred, she may not have died. We knew that she had been poisoned with ethylene glycol. But when you do research on ethylene glycol poisoning, you'll find that 70% of people who die from ethylene glycol poisoning, it's suicide. So I needed some sort of an analysis differentiating between suicide and homicide. What was the quantity of ethylene glycol in the blood of Julie Jensen? The original test showed 55 micrograms per milliliter. How much ethylene glycol would you normally expect to find in the tissue of a human being? Ethylene glycol should not be present in a human body. This individual was sick for about three days. The night before her death, she was reported as vomiting. 
and diarrhea, which would mean a purging of the system, so there should be nothing in there. But the next morning, she had ethylene glycol in her stomach. So that would go to multiple dosing. Furthermore, there was no ethylene glycol found at the site. So there was no ethylene glycol present. There's nothing really to support a suicide. The defense in this case was trying to make Julie out to be this depressed mess of a woman. My response to that was, well, no, she wasn't depressed. She was sad. She was distressed. And who could blame her? What was your understanding as to why Mrs. Jensen was coming in to see you? She was very upset. And it seemed like she was there because she wanted some help. She was upset enough that I gave her medicine and strongly encouraged her to seek counseling as well as to follow up with me. I gave him a prescription for her of uh, Ambien sleeping pills. Now having heard that Julie told some other persons that she believed her husband was trying to poison her, if you had known that on December 2nd, you certainly wouldn't have given him that prescription for Ambien, correct? Correct. The defense in this case presented an alternative theory, which was vengeful suicide. They had an expert witness who had gathered all kinds of information about Julie's past mental health treatment, family history in terms of depression. He ultimately opined that Julie had taken her own life. You understand that she contacted a, a neighbor on the day before her death and had a conversation in which she said, don't worry about me. That, that's my understanding. And one would expect that if the state of mind is, I think someone's trying to kill me, the piece of psychological evidence, it just doesn't fit. I have a very, very low opinion of Dr. Spiro. The so-called psychological autopsy was malarkey. I thought it was malpractice. I thought he was dishonest and condescending. And the jury hated Dr. Spiro. There's sufficient evidence that she was depressed. And you may find that some of the things that are listed uh, turn out to be controversial. But it does not change my impression that she was depressed. And that's true to a reasonable degree of medical certainty. Don't you think a statement from the defendant's sister, I've lived with him for 18 years, you have no idea what he's capable of, don't you think that would form a legitimate basis for Julie Jensen to have actual fear that her husband is actually going to kill her or try to kill her? Made in the tone of voice you made it? Yes. But that's you giving testimony. That is not the record that I received. At one point, Angie leaned over and said, are you going to let him talk to you like that? I said, Angie, look at the jury. They hate him. Dr. Mainland, after examining all of, the, all of the items that you've examined in this case, have you come to an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to the cause and the manner of death of Julie Jensen? Yes, I have. The cause of death is ethylene glycol poisoning with probable terminal asphyxia. And what would the manner of death be? Homicide. Why would you attach any significance to what Aaron Dillard would have to say about the cause of death in this case? In Aaron Dillard's statement, there, he said a few other things that were not public knowledge and, to my mind, could have only come from one source. What source? Mark Jensen. What is it about the circumstances of this alleged confession that Aaron Dillard provides that causes you to want to credit a lifetime con man? Everything in his description is consistent with the autopsy findings and the toxicology. Julie Jensen had suffered ethylene glycol poisoning 
and she died from asphyxiation in the manner described by Aaron Dillard. That's what the physical evidence that was recovered at autopsy revealed. Members of the jury, uh, it's my understanding that you uh, have reached a verdict, is that correct? Yes. We, the jury, find the defendant, Mark D. Jensen. Julie Jensen was found dead on December 3rd, 1998. Mark Jensen was interrogated on April 21st, 1999. But he wasn't arrested until 2002 wasn't put behind bars until 2004, and didn't even stand trial till 2008. Before Mark Jensen was finally locked away, he'd married that girlfriend, Kelly Labonte, and they had a son together. And according to the state, during those nine years, Mark did everything possible to diminish Julie's memory. Good morning, beautiful day out, huh? It is. Good morning, sir. Morning. Mr. Jensen. Do you understand what your options are at this time? Yes, sir. And is it your desire that you not testify in this case? Yes. All right, uh, it appears to me that the defendant is acting freely, voluntarily, and intelligently and understands the nature and consequences of his actions and is waiving his constitutional right to testify in this case. Mr. Jamways, if you're prepared to make your closing statement, you may address the jury. Thank you, Your Honor. The defense is that Julie Jensen was a virulently angry resentful, bitter woman who not only took her own life, but tried, plotted to destroy her husband's life. In other words, not just that she committed suicide, but that in the process, she framed her husband for murder, thereby assuring that her two children would be left without a mother and without a father. What evidence did you hear in this case that would support such an utterly ridiculous utterly implausible presentation. It was really important for us to remind the jury who Julie really was, not this person that the defense had painted her to be. Think about Mark Jensen laying there next to his wife, or maybe he was just sitting there watching her. As she was barely able to breathe, as she was gasping for life, for hour, after hour, after hour. Ask yourselves that, how any loving spouse could do that. The jury seemed to express some compassion as they were listening to the closing argument. And so I felt we had a really good shot. Mr. Albee, if you're ready, you may make your closing statement. Thank you, Judge. Mr. Jamboys wanted me to show that Julie J Jensen had some anger. Well, she expressed that to Ted Voigt, her confidant. And motive? She's sick. She's got severe depression. Her social support network is falling apart, which is mostly the family. The defense closing argument was basically an attack on Julie Jensen, attacking her character, attacking her love and devotion to her children. If you're trying to point the finger, point the finger. Why be coy? This seems to be, the police will figure this out, I'll give them a head start, but at the same time, not be such a direct accusation as to be suspicious. Mark Jensen, he did not kill his wife. I ask you to return a verdict, not guilty. Please be seated. All right, members of the jury, uh, it's my understanding that you uh, have reached a verdict, is that correct? Yes. We, the jury, find the defendant, Mark D. Jensen, 
guilty of intentional homicide of the first degree as charged in the information. Even though the jurors indicated that the guilty verdict would have been reached without the letter, remove that letter, can't help but wonder, would the verdict be the same? Judge Schroeder really resonated the core of my being with his legal ruling, uh, declaring Julie's letter a, a dying declaration. And I hope the strength of that declaration is heard uh, far and wide and for a long time. There is no doubt from the evidence in this case that Julie Jensen feared that she would soon and swiftly lose her ability to communicate. That for this very reason, she created the doomsday letter naming her husband as her likely murderer based upon suspicious acts and events which she reported observing. I believed that Julie had written this letter and that she deserved to be heard. She'd been murdered and not only had she been taken away from her sons, her memory was being poisoned in their minds. Dear Judge Schrader, our names are David and Douglas Jensen. We are the sons of Mark and Julie Jensen. While our desire would be for his immediate release, we realize the impossibility of this as the court must pass a sentence in spite of his innocence. In light of this, we request that our dad be eligible for parole as soon as possible. We love you, Dad. Thank you. Sincerely, David Jensen, Douglas Jensen. I respectfully ask the court today to show no mercy for Mark Jensen. Why, you might ask? Because he showed no mercy to his wife, my sister, Julie Jensen. I have sentenced scores of people to prison for murder. And when I assess the entire mountain of facts and evidence that exist in this case, I, I come to the conclusion that if I were to impose anything less than the maximum sentence, I'd feel I had cheated the other people because your crime is so enormous, so monstrous, so unspeakably cruel that it, it, it overcomes all other considerations. Mr. Jensen, it is the sentence of the court that your custody be committed to the Department of Corrections for confinement at the Wisconsin State Prisons without possibility of parole for the remainder of your life. I don't have anything to say about the facts of the case, trial strategies, Mark's reactions to anything. I think you'd be, other than to say, I think you'd be doing how anybody who should have been found not guilty in a trial finds out when they're, they're, they're spending life in prison. He deserves a new trial that is a fair trial, and uh, I'd expect that justice would be done the second time around if he gets a fair trial. I believe justice was served. There's a conversation between Mark Jensen and his sister. This is after he's been convicted. He says, well, what could I have done? And she says, divorce? I believe that Julie suffered horribly. Not only did she suffer emotionally over the years because of Mark Jensen, in the final days of her life, she suffered a horribly, physically, terribly violent death. He was just utterly indifferent to whether she sustained agony or not. He just didn't care. If this case ever comes back, I'll try the damn thing again because Mark Jensen belongs in prison. In March 2021, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that Mark Jensen can receive a new trial, and this time, without Julie's letter being used as evidence. I'm Ashley Banfield.
Thanks for watching. There you have it, another in-depth look at one of Court TV's most compelling trials. You can watch live coverage of Mark Jensen's retrial right now on Court TV. Find out how to watch on CourtTV.com. You can also stream his 2008 trial in full on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And to keep up with all the biggest current true crime stories, tune into my show, Closing Arguments, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading, and as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.